One, two, test. One, two, Eric, are we okay? Should we go ahead? Okay, great. Good evening, everybody. So, so good to have you here tonight. Uh, just a couple of housekeeping uh, deals is, uh, we do have a, a nursery for eight months to two-year-olds in our nursery classroom right here to the right as you go down this hallway. So <clears throat> if you would uh, want to use the restroom, if you'll, you'll, you know, these, these restrooms have been retrofitted for little people. Um, so if you just go down the hallway and just use the new restrooms, that would be, that'd be great. Uh, and I think you'll be way more comfortable <laughs> that way as well. Um, we are so glad you're here. We're, we're excited to do this uh, continuationism weekender. Uh, you've got a resource packet um, that are not really notes that we'll be using for our teaching times, but a lot of study and follow-up information that we hope will serve you beyond tonight, because there's only so much we can accomplish, even though we've, we've got several hours to teach and, and share together uh, tonight and tomorrow. There's just so much more that can and should be said. So hopefully these resources will bless you. Alan, the book, the book table is not necessarily books for purchase tonight. That's just examples of works that they might consider. We, are you going to talk about that when you? Okay, that's great. That's great. Well, let me give you a little bit of an intro tonight. We're, we're so uh, indebted to men like Jeff Perswell, who is the Dean of our Pastors College in Sovereign Grace Churches, and uh, Wayne Grudem. Uh, Jeff and Wayne Grudem actually worked very closely together in the, the systematic theology and Bible doctrine books, um, particularly the Bible doctrine book uh, that uh, they put out together. Um, very humble men, very loving men, and we're so grateful for how the Lord has used them in our lives. And so a lot of what you're going to hear is we're just the glad recipients and just passing on the bread. We're, we're just, what do they, what's that phrase? We're just uh, hungry people looking for bread and we found some. So we just want to, we just want to have you uh, find that bread too. So uh, a lot of what's going to be shared is we're thankful to them for what we've learned uh, from them. Um, and this topic is so important. Um, in, in terms of our ongoing training as Sovereign Grace pastors and leaders, uh, in January, uh, Jeff Perswell is going to teach a class at the Pastors College that they're really encouraging all of our pastors to come to, uh, just a refresher on the doctrine, person and doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Um, so if you'll keep us in prayer for that, because we want to continue learning. We just want to be lifelong learners, don't we, of who the Lord is, and actually not lifelong learners, I guess we'll be eternal, eternally, eternal, it, how would you say it? Eternally long learners of God and his love. So, so we're going to talk about the doctrine of continuationism, but we don't want this to just be a, a class. Um, we want it to be a, a class of sound doctrine, but doctrine alone um, is not what I believe the Lord even intended in regard to the teaching of the Holy Spirit. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, God has been passionate about his people experiencing his active presence. And so, you know, the Garden of Eden was a temple garden. It was, it was God walking with them in the cool of the day. God wanted them to experience his active presence. That gets messed up with sin, and you, you, you follow the redemptive storyline, and 
what better place to experience God's active presence and salvation than in Jesus Christ? Uh, and then even going on into our study of Revelation, haven't we just seen in these last two chapters of Revelation, God's passion to for eternity to be actively present with his people? So our, our hope and prayer is that the doctrine we're learning could be an experience that we have with God. Not, not, just, not just head knowledge, but actually experiencing the life of the Holy Spirit as he would point to Christ. Um, Jonathan Edwards, uh, so many wonderful things that he taught. He said that when he preached, he hoped that, that the Holy Spirit would allow him to preach and teach in such a way that that as he preached sound doctrine, as he preached gospel-centered truth, um, that, the, the, that the experience of the people, that the Holy Spirit would raise the experience of the people to be on level with the truth that's being taught. I think that's just a great prayer request. That's really, it's a longing that we have uh, for, this, for this weekend. Um, so can we pray? Will you join me as we uh, open tonight in, in prayer? Oh, holy God, um, it's, it's really amazing to think of the holy, holy, holy God who stoops down to rebels, has his own son crucified to reconcile them to himself, and then just loves to express his presence with a people, though, we're justified. Oh, Lord, there's still so much mess about us. <laughs> and that you would join your holy self, people who've been justified by grace, forgiven according to the blood of the Lamb, but still, oh, how we still sin. And we're so thankful that you unite yourself to a church that is, that is being sanctified, and we're so thankful that you love to give your people the knowledge of your presence and the experience of your presence through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So would you just be glorified tonight in the teaching ministry of your word? And oh, Jesus, would you just, we, we so want you to be front and center of all that we do and teach. And we're so thankful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that would guide all of that for the glory of the Lord and the edification of the church. So we pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to, you know, you notice I'm sitting down. I have, I, if I had a seatbelt, I would put a seatbelt on. Um, I am going to really stay close to notes because we have kids in the nursery and the night can go long and we don't want it to go long. We want to try to stay true to time. I want to leave Alan the time he's been allocated. And so our desire in the, in tonight and tomorrow morning is to encounter the spirit in the scripture and in our experience. So that's, we're going to, we're going to devote a lot of time to, uh, teaching out of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. It's not the, an exhaustive treatment on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, but it is a very applicable treatment of the topic. Um, we're doing this because too often, I don't know, it, it, would, it would be neat to have a little survey before you came tonight just to say, what, when, you, when you come to a class that's going to speak on 
the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, what would you be expecting? That'd be, that'd be a fun thing to, to talk about. You might come with a particular focus. Maybe you're focusing on a specific gift or you'd like to know more about a specific gift. Maybe you're more aware of the abuse of gifts and you're trying to, trying to sort all that out. Um, I think we, we tend to think that chapters 12 through 14 are just mainly about the gifts of the Spirit. And I hope tonight you're going to see that they're, they're about much more uh, than, the, than uh, just the gifts of the, the Spirit. We want to understand and experience the foundational context of these chapters so that we'll better understand and experience the more specific details of the chapters. I, I think that my prayer is that as we, we go through uh, this first session in chapters 12, and uh, we're going to touch on 13, um, as we go through these chapters, um, that you're going to have more confidence to want to continue to pursue and press into God in regard to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Um, so these chapters don't tell us everything we know we need to know about uh, the Holy Spirit, but um, you could say that that this isn't a systematic theology of the Holy Spirit. Really, this is really good applied theology, and and that's how we hope you'll experience that is in the in the way that Paul was hoping to uh, to bring that to the Corinthians in regard to their questions and and some of the problems uh, that were being. Um, having to be dealt with in regard to the Holy Spirit. So these chapters are really timely for us because they're not primarily directed at how you could more personally experience the Holy Spirit in terms of just your private walk with the Lord. Uh, though I think there's certainly benefits from this study that will, will be a blessing to you privately. But this is God's desire and plan and power to manifest the Spirit's presence, His love, His gifts, and his power in the gathered church. So, so if you keep that in mind, there's, there's certainly much to, to appropriate personally, but this is about the gathered church. This is why it's so important to gather and what God wants to do amongst the gathered church. Um, and so you're going to notice there's going to be an accentuation of a variety of gifts that are presented. And, and that's done in order to emphasize the fact that they're supposed to be being exercised in community. Uh, it's a variety because it's supposed to be done in community, uh, in love with each person using the gift or gifts that God has given them for the good of others. So we're studying these chapters because we want to better equip you as to why we're continuationists, but, but even more to better understand the context of spiritual gifts and to encourage the pursuit and desire of the biblical and loving practice of spiritual gifts. So that's that's where we're gonna head in here. So the setting, you know, Paul wrote the church, uh, the church at Corinth. This is written about three years after he had planted it. He had heard via a letter, there were divisions in the church about the Lord's Supper, people getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, lawsuits amongst believers, and the horrible testimony that was to other people. And spiritual gifts was another one of the questions that were being talked about. And it was a point of division. Isn't that so sad that, that from Genesis to Revelation, God's passionate about his people experiencing his active presence. And we have to fight about it. I mean, it's just, you know, it's not surprising as we've studied Revelation and the, the spiritual warfare that is uh, always at, uh, at work uh, battling against the people of God. Um, 
Well, so Paul is answering questions. So 1 Corinthians is so much about uh, that you, 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 you ask this question and he's going to give an answer. And so here is his answer in chapter 12 through uh, 14 about what they were asking him in regard to the Holy Spirit. So if you, if you haven't turned there already, would you open to 1 Corinthians 12? And we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. And then we're going we're gonna to keep on going down through First uh, Corinthians. So keep keep your book open, keep your Bible open to that. So here is the word of the Lord, guys. Isn't it so good that God doesn't didn't hide any of this? He wants to talk to us about these things. Wow, so cool. So now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Well, isn't that make, I don't know about you, but then that radar goes up there. What? What in the world are we talking about here? Well, if someone were to ask you what these verses would be about, it'd be easy to say, well, they're about spiritual gifts. But that's not where Paul starts. In these first three verses, Paul is not starting specifically about spiritual gifts. What I hope you'll see in just a few minutes is he's starting with the gospel. He's starting with the centrality of Christ. He's starting with the greatest gift that could be ever experienced by any Christian. And a, and a gift that has to be experienced if you're going to be a Christian. Um, so, so it's not foundationally about the gifts. It's foundationally about the gospel. But I don't know if your, your experience of studying 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, I don't know that that a lot of pastors, including I don't, you know, I don't know that we've necessarily maybe given this the justice that it's due. It's easy to race past these first three verses. And let's come on! I want to understand this tongues thing. You know, um, what's you know? It's so easy to rush past that, and they could almost be look irrelevant to us. Uh, after all, I mean, we look around Sovereign Grace Church, I don't think I've heard anybody saying Jesus is accursed, so I think we're okay. It'd be easy just to say, we'll mark that off the list. We've, we've got that down. No worries here. Uh, got a lot of people saying Jesus is Lord. Now let's talk about tongues, <laughs> right? So um, that's, that's not what this is about. It's so much sweeter, and I hope you'll just fall in love with this. But if, if we do that, I think we're, we're going to misunderstand if we rush past this we're not only, I think, going to misunderstand, we're going to misapply the remainder of chapter 12, 13, and 14. And I'll explain why. The Corinthian church is asking about spiritual gifts, and their question apparently required, this is important to know, correction and encouragement to keep pressing on in spiritual gifts. Um, so I'll just tell you a little bit of personal when I was saved, I was saved uh, in, in, a, in an, I would say, an un, I want to be gracious here to say things rightly. I was saved in an unbiblical charismatic environment that, that, I, would, that I would understand now. Um, and and as, I, as I learned more of the word, uh, thankfully that 
when the Lord moved us to New Orleans, um, we had a pastor, it was Assembly of God Church, and we had a pastor who that I had never experienced expository preaching and teaching, but he was committed to that. And he, I'll never forget him teaching through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And, and you're going, well, all of 1 Corinthians, and, and you're just going, oh my goodness, I really, I didn't really understand things biblically. I didn't. So I kind of was raised in that environment. So I kind of accepted some of those beliefs and, and things and experienced a lot of abuses. And um, the sad part about, and I'll just take the blame for this, but the sad part of learning the, the how to say this without being something arrogant, learning the biblical way to talk about spiritual gifts and why God gives them and all that God wants to do. And I just, it seems like I find any way, to, if, I, if there's a way to be self-righteous, I'll find it. <laughs> I don't know about you. It, it's, it's like I went from, oh, now I know the doctrine of spiritual gifts. And so I'm the spiritual gifts police. And so, so I was, oh, no, no, no. That's an abuse of spiritual gifts. And what I ended up doing was becoming a confessional continuationist, but a functional cessationist. Why? Because as a pastor, it's a lot easier just to say, you know, let's just plan the service. Let's fill the service up with it, just from the very first second to the last second, preaching and singing and praying and, and all planned. Sorry, that's embarrassing when you're speaking and that happens. Um, I was on airplane mode. Wow. This, see, the spirit's already moving. <laughs> See, um, uh, oh, Wi-Fi, that's right, that's right. Um, oh, my goodness. And um, I wasn't honoring the Lord. And uh, I wish I would have known what I'm going to try to share with you when I was younger. Um, not just for my own soul, but because of how I could have better served other people um, in the gathered church. So... So, um, so let's keep pressing in. I think Paul's intention here is to establish churches that are gospel-centered, not gift-centered. But because of their gospel centrality, they exercise, they, they, they're excited, they're expectant, they understand the role and ministry and gifts of the Spirit. And so they, they desire for those gifts to be expressed. But it's on the foundation of being gospel-centered. And we'll get back to the text in a minute. You'll see, I think you'll see that. Um, uh, Paul's wanting to establish that the greatest and most powerful gift of all is the gift of salvation. That would have solved a lot of problems in the Corinthian church, and, and I hopefully did. <laughs> we don't know what happened after this letter, but hopefully that, that brought a lot of reconciliation. Um, with those foundations, I hope you're going to be able to see why he would then exhort us to eagerly desire spiritual gifts when we get to chapter 14. So I hope, I hope you'll see that. So the question he's addressing with is dealing with spiritual gifts. The word spiritual gifts is not charismata, uh, we, where we get the word charismatic from. That word is going to be used later in 1 Corinthians in this chapter. Um, it's normally thought of as the word for spiritual gifts, but it's the word pneumatica. And this, more, this refers more to them asking about spiritual things, or it could refer to speech inspired by the Spirit, if you got an ESV Bible, there'll be a footnote. And I think the ESV really has it right in the footnote when it can also be translated spiritual persons. 
So they're asking, I think, about spirituality, not just spiritual gifts. Meaning what? Who's the most spiritual among us? I think that's what's happening here. Uh, I think that's, that's who is truly spiritual in our church or who's the most spiritual among us, or which gifts prove who's most spiritual, or who are the first-class Christians who have this set of gifts, and who are the second-class Christians that, oh, pobrecito, they don't have many gifts, those poor second-class Christians. It's easy to make people feel that way if these things aren't properly understood. Um, So here's what Paul does. Notice he asks them to recall their former lives as unbelievers in verse 2. So you saw that. He says, when you were pagans, you lived like this, right? And then he brings in two confessions. He contrasts two confessions. And one confession is Jesus is accursed. So we're going to talk about what that means. And the other confession is Jesus is Lord. So that's where Paul is starting. And this is where we're pressing into the gospel. So Paul's not getting weird here, and he's talking about being worried that people were attending church who were just in the middle of service saying, Jesus is accursed. And I mean, what, what do we have? Demon-possessed people? And what's going on? And what's ha- I'm going to go visit another church. It's, it's not, that, that's not anything close to what he's talking about. This is not Paul saying, this is how to discern what's a real spiritual utterance. And if, if somebody gives you a word from the Lord and then says, Jesus is Lord, that's how you know it's from the Lord. But if he says Jesus is a curse, that's how you know you should run away. That's not what he's saying about either. Paul, what he's doing is he's saying, can we just talk about who, what, what it means to be spiritual? Why don't we start there? Why don't we talk about who is it that has the spirit in the first place? That's important, isn't it? Let's keep going. So in their pagan days, Paul used that word pagan, of course, they didn't have the spirit. They were following the course of this world, uh, you know, following the prince of the power of the air, just dead to God, alive to sin. Um, and in their pagan days, Paul says they would say Jesus is accursed. So this is this is a confession of an unbeliever. Does it make sense? So let's go a little bit further. Who would actually probably either use that phrase or have that mindset? meaning that Jesus cannot be the Messiah because he hung on the tree, which means he was cursed. That's what this is talking about. It's a confession of an unbeliever. That's what's, and, and likely, most likely, the audience there would be more likely the Jews who would know more fully, like Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23, talks about whoever hangs on a tree has been cursed by God. So to say Jesus is accursed is, is not cursing at Jesus. It's not blaspheming the Spirit. It was a confession of unbelief. Um, and in reality, all of us had unbelieving confessions. We may not have said Jesus is accursed, but we would have said maybe something like this. There are many ways to go to God. That's, that, that's, that's essentially a sense denying the Lordship and that there's only one person that can save you from your sins. So that's what he's getting at here. Um, We don't believe, we don't need Jesus. These are all unbelieving confessions. Jesus is for weak people. 
unbelieving confessions. So in order to go from a confession of unbelief to a confession of belief, something miraculous has to take place. Something powerful, something life-changing must happen for someone to say with faith and conviction, could you say it with me? Jesus is Lord. Three sweet words. And aren't you glad he is? Aren't you so glad he is? What miraculous, life-changing, powerful thing has happened? Well, they heard the gospel and they experienced the gift of regeneration and expressed repentance and saving faith in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. This was not just repeating, repeat after me. I mean, I mean, I was in, in, involved in just some of the stuff with spiritual gifts and tongues. I, I mean, people would say, okay, listen, so do you want the gift of tongues? Yeah, I want the gift of tongues. Okay, just listen to what I say and then repeat it. No, I saw some of your faces, but I don't know if that happened to you. That happened way too often. I heard so many people do that. This is not just telling people, just say the words, Jesus is Lord. Anyone can say that. An unbeliever can say that. But because of the gospel and regeneration, this powerful miracle, this grace miracle of salvation, they have turned their back on their sinful past. They've turned in faith to believe that Jesus is Lord. And anyone that has done that is the one that is spiritual. There you have it. So who is spiritual in the church? If you're a Christian tonight, you know what you, we all should say? Wow, by grace, I am. I'm true. You're truly spiritual. You're truly spiritual. And that's such a foundational understanding to then begin talking about some of the other details of the, of the ways the Holy Spirit works in terms of gift ministry. But this is so important. You see why we shouldn't rush past these verses? They're, they just are so renewing and so encouraging. Um, anyone who has trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, their confession, their believing confession is that Jesus is Lord. And they have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit and the greatest gift you'll ever receive. That's the greatest gift. And that's the foundation in order to be able to believe, wow. I mean, so you remember where Paul in Romans 8 says, um, he who spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. Spare is a horrible word. It's just talk. He who executed, he who gave up to execution, he who bloodied his own son. It's what we most needed, right? So it's, it's like you're raising up to see, oh, and all the other needs I have, there's one that 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 is head and shoulders above them all, and that's my need to be reconciled to God in Christ, for wrath to be satisfied, for mercy to flow, forgiveness to be received, new life to be given. That's what I most needed. So if God did that most needed thing, doesn't that help you have faith for other needs in your life? You know, so don't, don't ask God for faith to believe the need, to, that, that he'll help you with the other needs. First, go back to the cross. And realize what he did for you already, which is going to grow your faith for what you have to deal with today. You know, I think that's very similar to what's happening here. He gave you the greatest gift you could ever have, the gift of salvation. 
So it isn't easier than to believe, well, golly, if he did a gift like that, it's far more easy to believe that he would move in other miraculous ways that would edify the gathered church. Are you with me? I hope, I hope you're, you're seeing that. So for the Corinthians um, who were exalting one or two gifts like tongues and prophecy to show who among them was truly spiritual, Paul is saying, I'll tell you who's spiritual. It's the one who has been made born again through the regenerating work of the Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel. Uh, it's a saving confession of Jesus can only be made through the life-giving power of the Spirit. And anyone who makes that confession, anyone whose life is marked by following Christ in love and mission, that person is the spiritual one. Thank God for that. And it's nothing we did. Our, we didn't make ourselves spiritual. We received that identity. That person has experienced the power of the Spirit. So by so doing, Paul bases the foundational and most powerful work on the Spirit and the Gospel. The transforming effect of the Gospel is the preeminent work in terms of true spiritual experience. So you want to talk about a spiritual experience? How about this? What would you call a depraved, dead heart being spiritually resurrected and transformed? You are going about your life dead in sin, running your hell-bound race. I almost want to say, let's sing it. Indifferent to the cost. But God looked upon your helpless, helpless state and led you to the cross, and you beheld God's love displayed. Christ suffered in your place. He bore the wrath reserved for me. And now all I know is grace. Hallelujah. Is that the next word? Hallelujah. All I, all I need is Christ. All I have is Christ. All I need is Christ. So conversion is a spiritual resurrection. Lazarus' resurrection gives us a glimpse of how powerful this gift is, this gift of salvation is. As a dead man, you, dead man or dead woman, you miraculously heard Jesus call you by name, waken you, quicken you, make your heart tender toward him, gave you grace to express repentance and faith toward Christ, and you were united with Christ in his victorious life. Nothing exceeds that in terms of spiritual experience. Nothing exceeds that in terms of spiritual experience. So our understanding of the Holy Spirit cannot be removed from Christ and his saving work. Can I say, can I get an amen? Amen. amen. We can't. The Bible doesn't. We can't. We can't. Pneumatology is the word that just means a study of the Holy Spirit. So our pneumatology cannot be viewed separately or dominate or be out of proportion to our Christology. Another way of saying that is that we will not replace being cross-centered with being charismatic. But we do want to be charismatic. We want to be continuationist in a way that magnifies the centrality of Christ and his gospel and his love. So doesn't this make biblical sense? The Spirit is not just a giver of gifts, but He's divinely selfless in wanting all attention and affection and devotion to be given to Jesus and His salvation and His mission. So as we turn to the gifts, let's remember that the most powerful spiritual gift is salvation. And if we believe that this is the most powerful gift, it's easier to believe the truth that God, that God wants to and does give other wonderful gifts not merely to a few believers, but to all believers. And let's recognize that we not only understand the doctrine of salvation, but we also understand the experience of salvation. See, that's what I was telling you about tonight. 
about Jonathan Edwards wanting to raise, praying, Holy Spirit, please raise the hearts of your people that their experience of, that they might experience the truth, not just know it academically. So, so just, I want you to be able to take deep breaths about this. The doctrine of salvation has become your experience, hasn't it? So the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and his gifts, God desires that there be a, a vibrant, vital experience of the person and work of the Holy Spirit, who back to the act, active presence of God, right? Active presence of God. So God gives a variety of spiritual gifts to the church, and you see that in verses 4 through 11. And he, and he says, um, just to save a little bit of time here, so he says, uh, now there are varieties of gifts, no, no, what, listen to the repetition, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then he goes and he begins to give some of the lists of some of the gifts. And so we'll, we'll talk about that as the weekend goes on. So I'll save a little time there and, and not read the rest of that except for verse 11. Go Check out verse 11 with me. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I don't know where you are in terms of just where your heart is in thinking about spiritual gifts in your life. But there's just too many believers that, that have this, this unbiblical view of themselves as though, well, I could understand Alan having spiritual gifts or, or Eric or whoever. You know, I could understand. But me, I'm just me. Well, God says you have spiritual gift, if not gifts. And it's by grace that he gives them. They're not deserved or earned. Would you, maybe that'd be a point for this weekend for you, is just would you dare to believe that God loves you, saved you miraculously, and has given you a significant role to play in the body of Christ through the use of spiritual gifts? Would you dare to believe that? Would you dare to believe that? Three times the word variety is repeated. That's contrary to what the Corinthians were doing. You know, they love tongues. Maybe prophecy is the chief mark of spirituality. This repetition is telling us the Spirit's work is broad. There are some gifts that are more immediately and felt or recognized, but that doesn't make them more valuable or more spiritual. The work of the Spirit is a broad work, and that's why he's coming out with this varieties, because every believer is to be touched with these gifts. In verse 4, even though they, they are asking about pneumaticon, now Paul goes to, back to charismata, and that means varieties of charismata. Shifting terms is emphasizing that the gifts given by the Holy Spirit are not only broad, they're also given by grace. They're not earned or deserved. So get this. Thus, there's no room for pride in the reception and exercise of spiritual gifts. The gift of the Spirit that God gives you should actually promote humility. Because you didn't study enough to get it. You didn't earn it. You weren't good enough to earn it. Actually, isn't that something to think about? Here's the, here's the Corinthian church and all of their pride 
fighting about who's the most spiritual and what gift is most demonstrates spirituality and maturity. And actually, all of the gifts should be dr driving us to our knees in gratitude, thanking God that he would use us for his purposes and glory and to express his presence amongst his people. Oh, thanks be to God. They're supposed to promote humility. They're supposed to promote humility. There's varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. It promotes humility, joy, and also, do you notice how it promotes belonging to each other? Which gift is the most powerful? Salvation. Just, I, I, should, I just want to sneak those in every now and then. What gift is the most powerful? Salvation. And all these other gifts are of equal worth and dignity and value. Verse 7 really provides the theme of the whole chapter. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So the word manifestation means gifts that demonstrate the Spirit's unique presence amongst the gathered church. Let me just say that again. Manifestation means gifts that demonstrate the Spirit's unique presence among the gathered church. Meaning the Spirit is working to give evidence of His presence to everyone and uses a variety of ways to demonstrate it. The Spirit's using all kinds of ways. Um, and he in, it includes powerful, like what we would call these power gifts. I, I don't know. There's, there's just not right ways. Some people call them spectacular gifts. Try to say, well, there's a broad work of the Spirit. Some are spectacular. Some are non-spectacular. That's not very helpful, is it? You know? Um, no. I mean, the, this is all miraculous that, that the exercise of these gifts with humble hearts, gratitude for salvation is the greatest gift. These are all precious gifts that we could build up the body of Christ together. That's a, wow, what a thought that God can use me to. Oh, it's amazing. So, so whether, it's, whether it's prophecy or teaching or preaching or tongues, or if it's helping, administration, mercy, giving, all are evidences of being spiritual. The, the gifts of service are as much an evidence of the Spirit's work as tongues is. The, the gift list isn't a shopping list. It's not, it's not like, okay which, okay, which gift do I want? No, we're trusting the wisdom and sovereignty of God and knowing what's best and how he's designed us and, and what he's made us to be. But it is an encouragement to every believer that by virtue of the most spectacular manifestation of the Spirit, right, salvation, they can, we can all believe, and not just believe, but be expectant, that, that we'll continue to experience the active presence of God, not just in saving us, but now in using us amongst his people. So mercy is an amazing spiritual gift, because without salvation, we're not merciful. So what a gift mercy is. So we can just go on and on. We'll, get, we'll get to more of that the rest of the weekend. So all Christians are gifted by the Spirit. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And all of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each individually as he will. So there's his wisdom and kindness and plan to use each member of the body of Christ in a wonderful way to magnify Jesus and express love. <laughs> So let me ask you, here's a math question. So give me the total number of ungifted Christians. Bang, ah! 
A. You got an A plus. That's an A plus. That's the total number of ungifted Christians is zero. There's no ungifted believers in churches. There's no ungifted believers in marriage. There's no ungifted Christian parents. There's no ungifted believers in youth ministry. There's no ungifted believers in discipleship groups. All of these gifts, expressions of the Holy Spirit. And so if what we're seeing, if we see what Paul's saying, we don't just acknowledge this but really secretly wish we had another gift <laughs> because we think that one's better. Paul's wanting believers to see the Spirit at work everywhere in the gathered church. There are no non-powerful gifts. There are no unimportant gifts. I would say there are unrecognized gifts. I would say there are unused gifts. And I would say there are unappreciated gifts. I think we can do that. But there are, there are no gifts that are more or less spiritual. So let's don't rob God of glory by limiting what the manifestations of the Spirit are to only those that are most immediately experienced or felt or seen. And let's encourage people when we see God at work in them. You know, so many of us don't realize. I mean, we, all of us probably think kind of less of ourselves in this area. And we, it's nice to hear. You mean the Spirit used that? That? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Man, I thought, I thought everybody else I can see you using, but I didn't know I could be used. Celebrate the, the recognition of the gifts amongst us. And they're all given for the common good. So when understood and experienced, spiritual gifts promote unity. The Corinthians' narrow view of what gift made you most spiritual had resulted in disunity. It makes sense. Um, recognizing the gospel as our salvation, uh, foundational to the most miraculous gift of salvation, um, along with this broad variety of gifts, is actually supposed to produce unity. Go figure. Lord, we're sorry. You gave all these things to actually promote unity. How, how do we know that? Look at 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. We're united in one body. It, it just totally devastates all artificial barriers. The idea of being a spiritual or a non-spiritual Christian, that gets knocked away. I mentioned racial or economic or educational things, but it wipes away this one gift being more valuable than another. And anyway, we're not to be known by the gift we have, but the part you play in the body. That's really what it comes down to. I'm not so, I'm not, we're not so much wanting you to go, I know my gift, I know my gift. This is so cool, I, now I know my gift. As much as you would recognize, I'm a part of a body and God has given me grace-enabled, spirit-empowered abilities to function as a vital member of the body of Christ. I love that. I love that. Um, so thus, Paul carries on the thought that there are no ungifted Christians or no unneeded Christians. And that's where he goes through what I call the Mike Wazowski example. If you have kids, uh, what was the? Oh. Monster Inc. Mike Wazowski. If the whole body were an eye. Gross. I mean, that's just so gross. 
Where would the hearing be? So he's here, he's talking about this unified body that needs each other. One body needs all of these varieties of gifts operating in love and, and for the glory of Jesus. Um, and so knowing that, you know, people get so upset. I, I'll say this, not so much here at our church, but I'll say this in other venues and places. And I'll just say, you listen, you are deceived if you don't think you need the church. You're deceived. You're just, you're just deceived. 1 Corinthians 12, that's your proof. You need the church. And the church needs you by divine design. And so he goes further, I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So all of those kind of things, I'm just going to um, ask you to go and read over those things again, just for the sake of time. In fact, everyone is so needed that the gifts you might think are, that are less important because they're less seen. This, this text actually says we should give those more honor. My public preaching, <laughs> questionable a lot of times if that's a gift or not, is nothing apart from administration, the gift of administration being done, the gift of serving being done, the giving, mercy. They're interdependent, aren't they? They're just interdependent. Um, and the body has all these working, working parts in order for us to accomplish the work of Jesus Christ in, in demonstrating to the world we are Christians by our love. Have you ever thought of that? That spiritual gifts operating within the church are actually supposed to be one of the ways they know we're Christians because those things are being exercised in love. And the world's recognizing that. The world's recognizing that. Um, so Paul includes gifts of leadership, helping administration. Did you notice he places gifts of tongues and interpretation last in his last, <laughs> in his last uh, gift list in this text? Uh, I, they're no less. They're just as important as anything. But I'm just wondering if Paul was just kind of giving a little dig to the, the tongues lovers uh, who thought they were the most spiritual in the church. Um, so he goes on to say, desire the higher gifts. In other words, desire, desire the gifts that most highly honor Christ and build up the body of Christ at any given moment and in every gathering of the church. That's what we should desire. Lord, we desire the gifts that most honor Jesus, build up the body at any given moment and in every gathering of the church. And that requires love. That requires love. Spiritual gifts without love are worthless. And love is supreme. And this is, if again, just even just some of the ESV study Bible notes. This is the ESV study Bible notes. Just direct quote. Spiritual gifts without love are worthless. And love is supreme because love lasts forever. But then Paul says, I will show you a still more excellent way, not merely seeking gifts, but seeking to use the gifts as acts of love and empowered by love. That's the better way. So I'm not, we're not sending you out of here as gift seekers. We're sending you out. We want the, the more excellent way. Yes, Lord, we eagerly desire spiritual gifts, but seeking to use the gifts as acts of love and empowered by love. They are expressions of love for love of God and our love for one another. And that's why in the Bible, 
it's it's the core of the teaching on Evan May is a dear friend that some of us have from New Orleans, uh, was on staff at the church in the Sovereign Grace Church in New Orleans. He said it this way, we're to pursue love as we seek spiritual gifts. Pursue love as we seek spiritual gifts because love gives life to gifts and love outlives gifts. Beautiful. It's just a beautiful statement. So love, you guys, is the authenticating sign of the Spirit's presence and work. That's the... That's the authenticating sign, spirit's presence and work. The greatest evidence that the power of the age to come has broken into our present age is the love of Christ. It's the greatest evidence. Without this love, spiritual gifts have no value. Spiritual gifts are evidence that the power of the age to come has broken into our age, but, but not without love. It's not. So we don't want to separate spiritual gifts from Christ's character. We don't want to separate spiritual gifts from the fruit of the Spirit. So, question. Do others encounter Christ's love when they fellowship with me? It's just a good heart-searching question. Gosh, did they just encounter a good Bible study that you gave? I fear sometimes, I leave here on a Sunday and I'm thinking, was it an information dump or did people experience the love of Jesus in the preaching of the word? Do people experience the love of Jesus in the gifts God's given you? That's what is supposed to happen. They're noticing the love more than they're noticing the gift. All of this is why chapter 14, verse 1 says, this is close, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Uh, so even though they were acting in pride, they were hurting one another, they were abusing spiritual gifts, Paul doesn't say, all gifts are canceled. And Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. I, I just don't think, I'll let this, I'll just ask you this. In looking th through chapter 12, and I know we've had to go through it really fast, and we didn't even dig into all of 13 at all, but as we go into chapter 14, do we even have the option to not pursue spiritual gifts if we're going to be biblically faithful? I don't think so. I don't think it's an option. I think, it, I think it's supposed to be understood with these foundations. I think that way we can eagerly, that's, that we can, it can be eager, something we're eagerly pursuing. So this is humility, this is dependency upon the Spirit, but I also think there's a realm, and, and we'll get more into this in some of the things that Al is going to teach, to be expectant. Not, we're not trying to make a formula. If we just sing this song, and do, you know, and then the Spirit will move. No, that's not it. We, we want to be biblically faithful. And because we're seeking to be faithful to God's word, we're trusting him to move amongst us actively through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and his gifts. Are you expectant of that on a Sunday morning? Are you expectant of that on a discipleship group? Is, is there an expectancy in your heart? Well, this is the last thing. Um, Alan, I'm coming close. I'm a little bit long, but I'm pretty close. This is the last, this is the last thing. 
here's a practical thing. Just to, how can I, how can I be more humbly dependent on the Spirit and expectant of the Spirit? Here's a very practical way of doing that. This Sunday, come with a passion for edification. It's just simple. Come with a passion for edification to build up someone else. That, that as you as we'll, we'll get into chapter fourteen and everything, you're going to hear that again and again and again. It's about edifying the body. When when we talk about prophecy, it's about edifying. It's about edifying. Come, knowing God wants to edify you too. But can you imagine if we had 175 people this Sunday? And we can start teaching this to the kids. So we have to include, let's include the kids in that number. But can you imagine? And we were all saying, oh, God, grow in my heart a passion for the edification of my church family and use me in any way you want to bring about the strengthening of their faith. I think Sundays would, would increasingly become more joyful and more, and more of us recognizing surely the Lord is in this place. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for the patient listening of these precious people. God, we just want to be biblically faithful to you. We want to believe what you say. We don't want to, we don't want to reduce you to a manageable God that maybe it's a little neater to, to just kind of turn away from the use of spiritual gifts and just have an unencumbered service. <laughs> oh, Lord, but we don't want to shut you out of the gathering of your people. So, Lord, would you continue to use the rest of this weekend? Would you bless Alan as he brings us the next session? And, uh, and may we just experience Christ glorified in our midst through the Holy Spirit's ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you so much. So.